Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hello, thank you for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Deputy Director of Communications with the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I'm happy to introduce my guest, Dominic Monica, PharmD. He's Director of Laboratory Operations at CLS Holdings, Inc., City Trees. He manages City Tree's production and distribution activities in Nevada. Dr. Monaco oversaw formulating and manufacturing Louisiana's first ever medical marijuana tinctures in tandem with Louisiana State University's Ag Center. Dr. Monaco graduated from the University of Arizona College of Pharmacy in 2010 and has been involved in the legal cannabis industry since 2012. Welcome to the show today, Dr. Monaco. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sure. So let's start by getting to know you a little bit better, and let's talk about uh, more about your experience at university and maybe some other experiences you had before getting involved in our very exciting cannabis industry. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. Happy to do so. Um, well, I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is actually where I currently am launching our new uh, tincture skew, believe it or not. Um, but I grew up mostly in Arizona. Um, I had a knack for science and math um, and went to high school in a little town called Sholo. It's in northern Arizona. Um, I graduated there with a, a GPA of 4.4 and had my choice of full rides to any in-state college. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice work. <laughs> Saved me some money for sure. Um, and decided that the University of Arizona uh, in Tucson was uh, uh, was going to be my option because it had a top ranking pharmacy program. So I already had an idea uh, prior to going into college that that's what I wanted to um, you know um, entertain at least um, and see if it was it was for me. Um, so after two years of undergrad, uh, I had completed all of the doctor of pharmacy entry prerequisites uh, and passed the PCAT um, and was awarded entrance in 2006. Uh, subsequently graduated in 2010 at the age of 24. Um, I spent uh, most of my career focusing on inpatient and outpatient hospital pharmacy, um, retail pharmacy, and compounding pharmacy as well. Wow, killing it. Love it. Con yeah, congratulations. It sounds like it was very rigorous. Sounds like you had your head down for several years getting through that college experience as well. Oh, yeah, nice a lot work. of summer school involved, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, interesting. <laughs> Got to get it in. So I, I, 
I wonder with all that background, you had your choice of, you know, medical careers. How did you end up getting involved in cannabis at that stage? Sure. Um, so back in 2012, uh, when Arizona promulgated their regulations for their medical cannabis, pre- cannabis program, sorry, um, I immediately began applying my expertise and knowledge to help these patients uh, um, of Arizona have access to clean and consistent cannabis uh, as medicine. However, um, this wasn't actually the first time I'd been introduced to cannabis as medicine. I was working at a compounding pharmacy during my fourth year of rotations. Um, uh, And at this particular compounding pharmacy had the state contract to supply all of Southern Arizona Medicaid, HIV and AIDS patients with their medications. Um, Mm -hmm. Most were mailed out. However, we did have a few patients physically show up in to pick up the prescriptions. So during these interactions, I noticed that that I was dispensing Marinol, which is an FDA approved synthetic THC molecule. Um, and it's used for AIDS wasting and cachexia um, and also just kind of um, lipo, lipodystrophy, kind of where fat cells kind of move around and don't, they kind of kind of grow in areas that aren't, don't normally know, uh, grow. Um, uh, weird. Very weird. Um, and it's a side effect of, uh, of a lot of AIDS medications. Um, so, it, you know, obviously they're prescribing something to, you know, uh, to alleviate something, another medication. Um, mm-hmm. is, is, is working for. So um, so I asked these patients how the medication worked for them. Um, and about 80% of the time, these patients would reply, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's okay, but it doesn't hold a candlestick to the real thing. Um, and that's when I began researching cannabis uh, in my fourth year of pharmacy school, the endocannabinoid system, um, and really dedicated, decided to dedicate my career to, to helping these patients get access to the real thing. Um, personally, little did I know that these interactions would help me later in my own life when it came to my own chronic pain and how to treat it. So I was actually diagnosed with kyphosis at the age of 17. So scoliosis is curvature of the spine left to right. Kyphosis is curvature of the spine front to back. Um, and so at the age of 17, I was immediately put on hydrocodone and ibuprofen. Um, needless mm-hmm. to say, by the time I got out of high school, I was taking uh, 30 pills a month. And by the time I graduated pharmacy school, I was taking 540 pills a month. Seems like way too many, definitely. Seems like way too many. And I haven't <laughs> taken one in, in, in eight years and it's um, strictly due to cannabis. I, I, um, I use um, pretty much strictly live resin concentrates to, um, to alleviate my pain. It does take a lot, but it's a, a lot better on myself and my liver uh, in the long run. So I wanted you know, just to be an arbiter of people having access and that you do have other, other options. Yeah, great work. And, and I'll, I'll mention that NCIA published a white paper report several years ago about cannabis uh, being an, a, a solution uh, for the opioid crisis. Many Absolutely. of these painkillers are just being thrown around. And, you know, even if you only need them for a couple days for like a dental surgery or something, they're, they're pretty, they can be pretty rough. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes people do get addicted unnecessarily. So, um, yeah, great. Thanks for sharing that background and Marinol's interesting. I, I thought of a joke while you were talking about that. It's like cannabis is, you know, like the real fruit juice, like a good beverage and Marinol's like a LaCroix, you know, like it kind of has a hint of strawberry flavor, but not really, <laughs> Correct. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly a good, good anecdote there. Thanks. <laughs> so um, fast forward to today. Um, you are working with City Trees. 
Uh, you're doing some lab operations there as well. Tell me more about that. What's that like? Sure. So uh, we have a 25,000 square foot uh, warehouse in it that encompasses our production, cultivation, and distribution licenses. Um, so um, all three of those licenses are inside that 25,000 square foot warehouse. Um, with, within the, that sector, my, most of my day-to-day -day and, and uh, efforts are spent on qualifying our input material that goes into all of our City Trees products. Um, I take sincere pride in doing so um, and in making sure that our organi organization sorry, has access to the highest quality input material um, on the market is, is really paramount for me. Um, it allows us to differentiate our products. It allows us to make different products. Um, and really just stand out uh, amongst the competition. Um, that being said, I oversee our business development sector, um, vendor relationships, SKU development, and QAQC within inside all of those departments. Um, so I'm really uh, kind of the, the glue that skits, sticks everything to, together in, inside that building, and I'm happy to do so. Uh, amongst, amongst other things, I do um, go out to other states for, um, for, the, uh, for our corporate company, CLS, to do vendor qualification on large scale purchases, um, as well as other licenses, um, whether it be cultivation, manufacturing or distribution. Mm -hmm. And very true to the cannabis industry, the nature of the cannabis industry, you're wearing six different hats in your role. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, it's it, cannabis is a bit still in that uh, startup kind of situation, even though we're sophisticated to the point of having multi-state operators and extremely large companies, mergers and acquisitions and the whole nine yards, but it's, there's still a lot going on. So, um, absolutely. And I'm happy to be a part of being fiscally responsible for our shareholders and, and, you know, the up, higher ups that, you know, pay my bills. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm happy to have the six, six hats on. Don't worry. Sure. So in Nevada, what's the market looking like there? How, how are you feeling about the current laws? Uh, I, I, current laws are, are good. They're very stringent, um, but I think they're stringent for a reason. Obviously they don't want uh, uh, the fed coming down and, and, you know, saying, Hey, this is a, a ex exasperous as far as what you're doing um, and your oversight of it. Um, so I, you know, I think we're doing good. I think there could, could be things on the testing side, um, that really need some tweaks. Um, you know, there's other States that test for a lot more terpenes and flavonoids than we do here in the state of Nevada. Um, and I'd really like to, for my own edification, um, you know, uh, as a farm and as scientist, I'd really like to know what's really in the weed or, or extracts that's that I'm, you know, that we're using and putting into our products. So we're only getting a very small snapshot of that with the regulated amount of, of types of terpenes that they test for here. Um, so I'd like to see, you know, uh, you know, some some push towards that. I'd like to see some changes on um, testing lot sizes. Um, you know, in the state of Nevada, we have five pound lot sizes for finished flower, um, 15 pounds for trim, five pounds for small buds and 125 pounds for fresh frozen. Um, so it really puts a, a financial burden on the cultivator to divvy up every five pounds that's supposed to represent a lot when we have other other states uh, in this great nation of ours, uh, you know, all the way from 50 to 80 pounds. Uh, per batch um, and, you know, anywhere between 300 and a thousand dollars per, per test, depending on where you are and what, what they're testing for that really adds up uh, really hits, you know, really hits the books, really hits the margin at the end of the day. And I, I think we could, um, you know, we could, you know, be proponents for that. 
Mm, that is a really interesting nuance about, about state laws there. Thanks for sharing that. All right, on that note, let's take our first commercial break and then we'll come back and chat more with Dr. Monaco from City Trees. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Traffic jams. Tailgating. Pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, and I'm chatting with Dr. Monaco from City Trees in Nevada. So let's take a deep dive into extraction technology and the extraction market and, you know, what to do if you're entering into the cannabis extraction side of our industry. Sounds like you're probably going to need a couple things right off the bat. One, the cannabis, the cultivator. (laughs) Two, probably some equipment to do that extraction, right? Absolutely. Hit the nail on the head there, um, and so with <laughs> with there's a lot of things within within those two two categories um, that you need out need to look for, and so that's what I'd you know I'd like to to outline here today. Absolutely. Um, so going into it, um, talking about biomass. So you you're gonna want to get in. You're getting into the market. Where is your biomass coming from? Do you have your own cultivation license? Great. You know, what are the metrics on that license? Do you have uh, integrated pest management in place to kind of um, as an insurance plan, right, for those plants? How many plants per light are you putting in uh, into your facility? What are the type of lighting are, are you using? Are you using LED? Are you using high uh, high intensity diodes, HID? Um, what's, what are the pounds per light or grams per watt or grams per square foot? However, your cultivator gives it to you. What, what is that metric, right? Because you knowing that metric is going to allow you to calculate how much biomass that they are able to produce out of their facility, and then you get a certain fraction of that, right? Um, so it'll give you a good basis of where to start out. Um, what's the distribution of flour to popcorn to trim during this harvest? And this, this is a very intrinsic question that people don't understand of why I ask it. I ask it because if you have a higher propensity from flour to popcorn to trim. So say, uh, say you're 50% flour, 25% popcorn and 25% trim on a distribution of your harvest. Um, That's the typical what I would what I would like to see any deviation from that you're going to see if you get more flour and less trim, that means that trim is going to be less tight, right, and that bud might look a little bit more lifey. So you want to inspect that final product a little bit, um, a little bit more, right. Um, in addition to you're going to ask the grow times, you know, typical uh, nine week harvest, but some people to get an 
extra harvest in uh, every year are going to do eight weeks that can lead to higher CBG content as opposed to THC content. Um, what's the dry time? What's the cure time? What's that water infrastructure that do they have? Do they hand water or do they have you know a drip system in place? What are the environmental controls that they have? How many harvests per year do they get? And the number of pounds per harvest. Those are the kind of things that you're going to be want to ask in your cultivator. So now wow. you've got your biomass locked down. <laughs> that I was quite a, a check. Yeah, a I, I would need to write that down. That's quite a checklist. Yeah, go on. Uh, but so now you've got the biomass locked down. Um, now you're going to be looking at extraction equipment. And I'll go into a little bit about methodology uh, here in a little bit. Um, but as far as extraction equipment is concerned, you're going to be looking for NRTL or ETL listings. These are um, third parties that qualify uh, equipment based on electrical uh, conductivity and the safety of them. Um, you're going to look for a third party peer review. Um, you're going to look for the power requirements, the labor requirements, the throughput of those machines, the efficiency of those machines. What's the maintenance schedule look like? What's the cost of replacement parts? Is there a clean in process available for that, that machinery? That way you don't have to take the whole thing down, right? And then clean it and then pull it all, way, all the way back together. Um, those are the kind of things you're gonna be looking at in addition to obviously the capital, how much is it gonna cost you? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a really good start, and, and that's just getting started uh, setting up your facility and, and getting all your ducks in a row as well. Wow. Yeah, so I remember at all of our trade shows, um, especially our most recent one in San Francisco, I walk around the expo floor, and I see a lot of machines and a lot of technology to conduct the extraction. Um, of course, I'm not a technical or, or machine engineering type of person. Uh, so maybe you could walk me through a little bit what I was seeing um, and maybe break down what some of these different methods of extracting, extracting the good stuff from the plant are like. Sure. So um, there's there's really going to be, I mean, typically on the market, there's going to be four types of extraction available. There's going to be CO2. There's going to be ethanol, there's going to be hydrocarbons, which is butane and propane and the other isomers, um, and water. Two of those are actually considered solventless, which is CO2 and water. CO2 is a gas, but during CO2 systems, they go to subcritical and supercritical temperatures and pressures. And when that happens, it actually liquefies the CO2, it becomes a liquid and it runs over the, the uh, biomass, solvates the cannabinoids, um, and then comes out the other end. Um, so there's, there's caveats to uh, each extraction method um, so that all of that machinery, again, is gonna be broken down into CO2, ethanol, hydrocarbon, um, and water, right? And so um, going through the efficiencies, CO2 is gonna have a 90 to 95% uh, efficiency up to 25% total cannabinoids. And what do I mean by that? I mean that if you're running biomass that is over 25% total cannabinoids, you'd be best to run it twice because it's not going to capture all, all, of the, all of the cannabinoids that are in that biomass. Okay. For ethanol, you're looking at an 85 to 95% efficiency, up to 25% total cannabinoids as well. Hydrocarbon, same thing, but up to 30% total cannabinoids. So it's a little bit, it can capture a little bit more right? And then water um, is really highly dependent on biomass, um, but typically you're going to get 75 to 85% um, efficiency up to 30% total cannabinoids, um, and then 50 to 75% on hash products. So after you've got your hash, 
and you press it and try to make it or manipulate it into another product, you're going to get a 50 to 75% yield on that. So those are kind of the, the efficiency uh, things to, to worry about versus CO2, ethanol, hydrocarbon, and water. Um, they all have their different rates and throughputs. Um, CO2 um, and water are going to be on the low end, water being on the lowest, CO2 right, right next up to that, hydrocarbon a step up, and then ethanol is the fastest system you can get, um, you know, 320 to 500 pounds in an eight-hour shift um, as far as ethanol is concerned. Um, okay. There's also caveats on infrastructure. Um, CO2, there's, you know, uh, there's no uh, significant control area that you have to have. Um, there's no maximum allowable quantity of CO2 that you can, you can store on site, um, as opposed to ethanol that you have to have a class one division two control area to, to actually uh, extract in. There is a maximum allowable quantity in place, so there's only a certain amount of alcohol you can have inside your building based on your fire riser room and your sprinklers. Um, so okay. those are kind of the caveats, right? Um, hydrocarbon is the same thing. You're going to have to have a class one division one room in place, which means that it's explosion proof and has a way of ventilating everything out. Um, and then we have water is a very, the very easiest way. And obviously the, the least expensive and safest way that you're not working in with any uh, high temperatures, high pressures, or any solvents at that matter. Huh. Okay, so when I was listening to you go through the various types of caveats, um, you know, when we were talking about how how many cannabinoids and terpenes you can extract, I was like, oh, okay, so it kind of sounds like water is the best way to extract. And then you begin talking about efficiency and how much and how fast you can extract. And yes. it's a little bit of a different picture. So. Right. It, it's so it sounds like there's really no one best way to do things. It's just about, uh, you know, which one you you want to try, I guess, right. you know, and it's going to it's going to come down to your market or whatever market you're entering. And that goes leads into our next question. And it's going to come down to what skews inside the market, right, are, are, um, are easiest to produce, are selling the most, right, and things that are that, you know, that you can sell. Um, at a, you know, at a decent margin that you can pay your bills and pay your employees um, and have some profit and continue to invest in the business, right? And that's all going to depend on the, pretty much the, you know, again, it's going to depend on everything we just talked about, plus teeing it and, you know, tipping an offer <laughs> on the icing cake here um, with, with the market analysis, right? Because you want to, you've, you've got this, all this information, but which, which one do you go with, right? Mm -hmm. Do you go with both? Do you go with all, you know, do you go, do you go with one, two, three, four, do you get all of it, right? Which is <laughs> obviously huge capital expenditure, but um, it depends on how big you are, uh, you know, how, how big is the market that you're servicing? And again, like, you know, what SKUs are there and what SKUs do you, you know, aren't there and that do you want to produce? Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's take our last commercial break and then let's talk about uh, the, the markets where all this is concerned when we get back. So stay tuned. We'll be right back to continue our chat with Dr. Monaco of City Trees. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, chatting with Dr. Dominic Monaco from City Trees, based in Nevada. So um, we were kind of going through the, some of the basics to think about when you're selecting your extraction equipment. 
And one huge factor is the market. And, you know, every year that goes by, more and more states are legalizing cannabis, either for medical or adult use sales. So lots of new markets always uh, lining up for cannabis companies to consider. So how does that play into extraction and the production side of the cannabis industry where markets concerned like Northern California's needs and wants of cannabis consumers. I think it looks a little different than maybe Boston, Massachusetts, for example, just because of culture. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. And it's interesting that you, you chose those two particular locations. Um, you know, uh, when I, when you see the, when you say those two locations, two things that come to mind immediately are access to biomass. Um, Northern California, who's, who has been the progenitor of a lot of the <laughs> cannabis that has been distributed uh, both legally and illegally throughout the state or throughout the United States, um, has been doing it for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston, you know, I mean, because they, they, they had a medical market in 95, I believe they approved um, yes. uh, in, in California. So um, Boston is just getting on the train. Um, and so that means that they don't have the access. They don't have the number of cultivators. They don't have the number of experienced cultivators um, and, and things like that. So it really, it, it's a very striking comparison. Um, and when you, when you do that um, and kind of dive down into, you know, who are the big cannabis producers in the market and what, if any, is their availability for third-party sales? And what I, when I mean third-party sales is what do they have extra that they can sell to you? Right. Because that uh, immediately when I hear those two places, it comes down to, OK, I'm going in, I, I'm I, I'm going into this market. Here are the reasons I'm going to this market. This is how big the market is going to be. Here's what is projected. Here's what it is now. Right. Um, I need to find a consistent supply of biomass if I have any chance. And I mean, any chance of starting a brand and starting a business and continuing that business for any foreseeable future. We all need consistent access to biomass. I yeah. mean, yes. <laughs> um, so on top of that, um, you know, going into a market and analyze it, who are the big extraction producers in the market and, and what do they produce? Like what are the SKUs they produce? How many do they, how many they do they produce and how many do they sell, right? There's a difference between how much is in their inventory versus how much do they sold that month, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where do these producers get their biomass, right? Are they vertically integrated? Do they have, you know, co-branded relationships or partnerships? Is that something that you can do with the, you know, with the other cultivators inside that market or territory um, and really try to leverage what, what you can leverage at any given time, right? Um, on top of that, you're going to really look at who are the big distributors and dispensaries in the market, right? Obviously, you know, who am I going to be selling to and who's going to take the product from A to B? Um, on top, additionally, you need to think about the, the supply chain in and of itself. So like in California, the, the distribution, the distributors have a, take a big cut of, of that sale a, and they have a big, um, influence on what goes to what place, i.e. dispensary, right. And, and ultimately what the consumer sees, right. That's not the case here in Nevada, you know, a distribution license simply takes product from A to B and they, they get a simple fee for it. Um, Mm. They don't house it there. They don't say, this is what you're going to take this, that, or the other. So you really need to get a a feel for how does distribution work in, in, um, in, in that market. Right. 
Um, when it comes also to the dispensaries, you know, do they, what products would they like to see that their own, you know, production, if they have one, doesn't have the capacity or know how to make, right? Because that's something that you can automatically get on the shelves, right? And something that they're going to say, okay, and you could say, hey, I'm going to co-brand it with you. You could put, even put your dispensary logo on and say manufactured by or powered by City Trees and go from there. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot of a lot of things that you can can do in any given market. Um, yeah, got it. Once we got all that figured out, <laughs> um, we're going to go into average price per category, pricing fluctuations and trends, both wholesale and retail, number of active licenses, production, distribution, cultivation, dispensary, and their percent of total and physical distribution within the territory, jurisdiction or state. Have there been new licenses awarded and or are there licenses available? And is there a timeline to be operational, i.e. is there a state mandated timeline after they award that license that you have to be operational in the state of Nevada, it's 12 months. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time here, but that is an exhaustive list of factors to take into consideration and they're all each and every one is very important as well so um, i'm looking forward to taking a closer look at these extraction machines next time we have our trade show in san francisco we'll be back we'll be back at the moscone center july 20th 21st and 22nd 2022 that's a lot of twos and it's our eighth annual cannabis business summit and expo we're so excited to return to get back to the business of in-person events very safely very carefully but nevertheless the cannabis industry gathers once again so you can head to cannabis business summit.com to learn more about that show Uh, as we make our way through the first half of this year. And I hope to see you in San Francisco at that event and hopefully many of our listeners as well. So thanks for joining me today, Dr. Monaco from City Trees. Really appreciate having you on the show today and breaking things down for us. Thank you, Bethany. I appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to yet another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.